0: So I'm excited as we begin again the second week in the book of Malachi, as you, I'm sure as you're reading the passages, you're like, whoa, this isn't, this, in fact, somebody had told me they uh, had been reading Malachi, and they go, man, there's some really heavy stuff in there. And I was like, yeah, there is, there's some. Some, some moments of conviction, I'm sure, as we go through this book. But man, if we open up the Word of God and we come to worship and we come to open His Word and we look at it and we come face to face with God through His Word and we walk away unchanged, the problem isn't God. I'll just tell you that right now. You may think it is, but it's not. And it's our own hearts and our own ways in which we deceive ourselves. So as we get started this morning, as we always do, let's Take a moment of prayer and ask God to instruct us and to teach us of His Word. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. And we ask, Father, and you, that you would just instruct us today. And Father, I would, I would confess that <clears throat> I think when I began to study Malachi, I, there's been times, Father, when I've wondered if, um, if we should go through this book. Because, Father, even in my own life, there's times of, of just true conviction and to evaluate our own hearts. So many times, like, we want to throw our hands and point our fingers at you, Father. Where are you? How have you loved us? What are, the th- what are the things you're really doing to demonstrate? And sometimes, Father, we don't take time to look and say, well, Lord, how are we loving you? How do we honor you with our lives? And yet I find in this book over and over again, in the ways that it it confronts me, and I pray, God, that by your grace and by your mercy and by the work of your spirit, you would instruct us, your people, that, Father, we we wouldn't walk in condemnation, but we would realize that, Father, by your grace and mercy, because you loved us, you sent messages like Malachi. To your people. And so, Father, this morning, please speak to us, instruct us, go past all of the inabilities and the shortcomings and the iniquities and sins of, of the servant, and Father, just speak to us, your people. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. In Malachi's time, the people of God had become casual about their relationship with God. There was no reverence or seriousness in their approach to God. They approached God with a half-hearted offerings. Even the priests became content and lukewarm, only offering God their lo- leftovers, leftovers. The people questioned God's love and faithfulness. And what you have in the book of Malachi is a wake-up call to a renewed faith, to a turning back to God and to experience his grace and his mercy in, in their walks with him. Why does God send a book? I'm, I'll be honest with you, there's been times where I'm like, wow, this, it just like, smashed me in the face of, of some of the truths in this book. Well, why does God do this? Because it's the power of God and it's the power of his love for his people. If God did not care about us, he would not communicate with us. God is moved by his love and therefore he calls his people out. He calls them to righteousness. He calls them to holiness. He calls them to be set apart, to be his people, and he challenges their hearts. God wants our devotion. And you know why? Because he deserves it. He's the almighty God. From everlasting to everlasting, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, there is no one like him, and he deserves our devotion, and he's not okay, and if you hear nothing else, he's not okay with half-hearted devotion. He's not okay with the casualness of approach to him. He redeemed us, and he delivered us, and it was not a casual sacrifice he gave for us. The sacrifice of his precious son. And I don't think there's any way you could say that that was kind of a half-hearted or a casual sacrifice that God gave that he might redeem us and deliver us and call us his own. But that's what he did. And why would we think that lukewarm living would be acceptable or sufficient? So in Malachi, what you have is you have the people of God And last week when we were looking at it, asking, well, how have you loved us, God? Show us. I mean, how have you loved us? I mean, you haven't loved us to our expectations. You didn't love us in the way that we desired or what we wanted. So God, how did you love us? And this week, when we look at verses 6 through 14, by God's grace, we'll get through them all. But through these verses in this week, the questioning kind of turns from questioning God, where now the question is turned to God's people, where God's people are put on the stand, and God's people are asked questions. And so the real question that is being asked is, hey, Israel, how have you loved God? <laughs> and let's put it in our context. The real question is not, God, have you loved us? He demonstrated his love towards us. He proved his love in the work of his son, Jesus Christ. So the real question for me as I went through this was, hey, Greg, hey, elders, hey, people of God at NBC, how have we loved God? How have we loved God? So Malachi turns it from God being on trial to the questions of his people and what we find in verse 6, when he starts here in verse 6, he says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I, if then I am a father, where is my honor? It's really the title I gave to this message today. And that question is where God is asking, where is my honor? If I'm a master, if I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords, where is my fear? And fear here isn't a fear of retribution whereby God's going to smash us. Here is this awe of who He is and all of His glory. There's sometimes when I think of, of what God has done in my salvation that I just find myself closing my mouth and just in awe of what God had done in the demonstration of His love. Not because I cleaned my life up and I made something out of it, because there was nothing there by which he would choose me and he did by the love of his grace and the mercy of his being and he, and he delivered me. It blows me away when I begin to think of that and here he says, where is my honor? Where is the fear of the Lord? The Lord is asking this question of, people's, of the people of Malachi's day but he's also asking us today. And right now, you're probably going, oh, okay, this was probably a Sunday I should have missed. Because <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a heart issue Sunday, dear people of God. It was for me. And why is it important to ask this question, where is, where is God's honor? It's an important question to ask because it tells us if our hearts are sincere or if they're insincere. It's because what we honor we show love for. What we honor is what we love. What we honor is what we devote our time to. What we honor is what we give to. And when I mean give, I don't mean financially. I mean what we give our lives to. So if God is asking where is my honor, then how do I know if I'm honoring God? How do I know if I'm honoring God, that was the, that was the question that jumped off these pages as I, as I read this verse in verse six, uh, where, how do I know that I'm honoring God? I mean, I, I go to church. I mean, for goodness sake, I gave my life to the ministry, right? I mean, shouldn't I be honoring God? Well, we have priests that he's going to deal with in this passage who were not honoring God. So that isn't a given. So what is the given? It's, it's, it's to look at the heart. It's to peel away in the midst of my life and look at my heart and where my heart is and my sincerity, am I, in it? am I sincere about him? Am I serious about him? How do I honor God? One of the ways that I came up with in this text, and we'll see it in verses six through eight, is by giving my best to him. No leftovers. You know, so many times we just give leftovers. We give token things. I, you've, you, you've had people do that to you where they give token things and then they always remind you about those token things they gave as a way of how they should have respect. And we do that sometimes with God. That's when he says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? If I am the master, where is my Fear says the Lord of hosts to you, O oh, priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? It's, there, catch what's going on here. We're not, we're not talking like a, a teenage relationship with a parent or an employee with a boss. We're two friends, we're acquaintances. We're talking about the almighty God who spoke and things came into being. He said, let there be light. And you know what? There was light. We're talking about the creator, the sustainer of life, the one who gives life, the one who delivers us. And there's this back and forth going on whereby, well, how have we polluted? How have we done these things? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised, verse eight, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the way that you worship? Have you ever thought about the things that you give in your times, your talents? Have you ever thought about those and put them in perspective? And when when you offer those that are lame and sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor you give that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of the hosts? Would he accept that? I mean, the, what you're giving to me, would, would your governor take that? Would you receive that? I remember when I was a kid and I, got, I used to have a sales job. I used to be a pretty good little salesman. I had the sales job that was set up every year with this, this group of people that came in and they'd sell jewelry and stones and different things and I got pretty good at it. So every year I had, I had this time frame and I made pretty good money at it and I would, I would go in and I'd start working on a Friday or sometimes Thursday depending on setup and I'd go and I'd work all day long. I mean, from the time the mall was open to close, they'd set up out there in the mall and there'd be these little shows. i work, I work and I remember my mom goes, Greg, how come you don't work that way for me? It's because it's easier to say no to you, Mom. You still got to love me. You still got to care for me. Sometimes I think we do that to God. You think he's just going to love us anyway. That was part of the problem here. They, They thought that... They could do these things, and we're protected because the God, the Lord of hosts, is protecting us. The word Lord of hosts there is used several times. In fact, in this book, it's used in a higher percentage than any other book in the Bible. And the Lord of hosts has the idea of Lord of sufficiency, of all provision, of all glory. The Lord, our God, is our Savior. He is the Lord of hosts, and you offer Him scraps. He says it over and over and over again. The Lord is calling for his honor and his people, and he speaks to his people who are floundering in lukewarmness and half-hearted devotion. And he turns and he takes a dead aim at the priests. Why? Because as your spiritual leaders go, so do the people. What would happen if the priest had told them when they brought the, the sacrifice that was blind and he said, no, you go back. The directives and the precepts of the Lord are clear about what you were to bring. Now you take it back. What if they, when they brought polluted offerings, the priest had said, had said no? Would, would it have changed the way things are? I have never, when I go when I through this passage, I was And to just be honest with you, I was like, Lord, I don't want this responsibility. Who am I? And yet, we establish, your elders and your leaders in your church, establish the spiritual direction of the church. It's it's as as they go, so do the people go. Think of the churches that are led with poor theology or no theology who don't even open up the Bible on a weekly basis? Think about churches that are led without serious devotion, who are just glad you showed up. I'm glad you showed up, by the way. And that's not what I mean. But don't just show up and not be impacted by the truth of God's word. Don't just show up and half heartedly sing the songs of praise to our God. Don't just show up and give lip service to the Almighty God who is from everlasting to everlasting, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, by whom we will all one day give an account. Don't give lip service. But what about the churches that don't instruct in the fear and the honor of the Lord who are not challenging the people to have a hunger and a devotion for God, who would rather give way, in to the ways of culture Then the truth of God's word, what is the result of congregations like this? You have a group of people are malnutrition in regards to the truth of God's word and the ways of God. That's what happens. When we we were, Buckles and I were visiting with somebody and we were telling them about the institute. We were telling them about some some of the things like Rooted and the different things we do in our church to instruct God's word. And the guy said to us, he said, wow, y'all really take it seriously. I won't say who it was or where he went, but he goes to a liberal church. And one of the things I told him, I said, well, here's the problem today. We have our seminaries and they, yeah, they teach deep and truth, right? And we have a people in our churches who are illiterate of the word of God. That's, that's hard to say. And if you don't know God's word, I challenge you, hear my words, I challenge you to learn and to know the word of God. And so what we've done is we've tried to create this this ability for people to study God's word and to learn God's word, because if you don't know God's word, you are not going to be prepared for the difficulties, the trials, and the testing of this world, you will find things that will happen in your life that will throw your faith and will cause you to turn from God and be distant from God unless you know the word of God and the ways of God. And it is responsibility of the leaders to challenge the people and not take lightly. I do not take this lightly. This is a sacred moment here. Anytime. time, Who am I to open this and say, God says this? I'm nobody. Who am I? This is the word of God. This is God speaking to his people. And he uses us for his purposes and his glories. And it's astonishing to me. But at the same time, let us not be half-hearted in the way that we approach our God. And when people come and they tell me, Greg, I pray for you. And I pray for the elders. It brings joy. You know why? And I'll speak on behalf of the elders here for a moment. You know why? Because we cannot lead without him. We can't do it. The most fearful thing I can ever think of is to walk up here and not have him show up. We must, we must guard our hearts The spiritual leaders of Malachi were compromised and the people were compromised as well. And we must be vigilant to watch our hearts for compromise and for the indicators of compromise within our hearts. It's like a rudder on a boat, on a large ship. It just turns a little bit and all of a sudden that ship just gets off course. And before you know it, it's just way off course. It's the same thing in our own lives. And when we have those things that prop up in our hearts, that we begin to compromise, that we begin to compromise in truth, in who Christ is, in who the Word, what the Word of God is, and we begin to redefine it, we begin to change it, to kind of fit our ways and our purposes, rather than the ways and the purposes of God, what happens is we begin to get off course. And all of a sudden we start becoming more and more distant from our God, and before you know it, we're apostates. One of the commentators I read, he said, you know, the devil doesn't have to distract us. I mean, he doesn't have to destroy us. He only has to distract us. Isn't that true? It starts with not honoring the Lord. You don't honor the Lord when you don't fear him. You don't When you don't fear him, you despise his name. When you despise his name, you give polluted offerings. It's because you moved from honoring his name. In fact, it says in verse 8, it talks about is that not evil about trying to give it to your governor? I've got a slide up here. I was trying to think about this with our heart with a heart. If you will go ahead and throw that up there for me. Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. Right here. There we go. Oh, no, not the wrong one, not the forest spiritual. I need the one for the heart. I may not even get to that at the time keeps running. There we go. There we go. So when we talk about it, when we have cheap and lame compromised offerings what we do is we give our leftovers. Now understand this. What happens is, is that when we are no longer in this place of, of, of giving God our best, what's happened is, is we're giving him our leftovers and the re- reason we're giving him leftovers is because we're despising his name. Why? Because our affections are set on something else other than him. Our affections can be set on ourselves, on, our, on the world. All of a sudden, God isn't, God in our lives. God isn't our, our affection and our love for him. And so what happens is when that happens, we're despising his name because by his name are we saved. By his name is what he has done. And the reason we despise his name is because we have half-hearted devotion. We've we been distracted from him because the, the things going on around us become more valuable what you What you honor is what you love, and he becomes half-hearted in devotion. And the reason you're half-hearted in devotion is because there's no honor or fear of the Lord. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying, where is my honor? Where is my fear? Am I not the father? Am I not the master? Is he not the king of kings and the Lord of lords? Then he deserves honor and fear. I just want you to stop and think about that for a moment and ask yourselves, what kind of offering are you giving to the Lord? Is he getting the leftovers or is he getting your best? I think when you think about that, when you're thinking about how do I know if I'm giving leftovers or not, I think there's kind of three main areas. It's usually my time, my talent, and my treasure. And what happens when you lack the fear of the Lord, when you don't honor him, all of those things become yours, not his. And When we talk about right theology, we have to understand something. I have lost my life. Galatians 2 tells us my life has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Colossians chapter 3, one of my favorite sections, verses 1 through 4. But in it, he tells us, my life is hidden in Christ. Christ, who is your life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. Because he's our life. Christ is our life. He is worthy of our praise. He has demonstrated towards us his love and his adoration and anything less We are just despising his name. Now understand this. We don't give to him so that he loves us. We give him our best because he loved us. Because he has given us everything. Everything. In his inconceivable, incomprehensible, and his inexhaustive love towards us. We in turn, because we love him, give him our best. Paul taught us that in Romans, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. What is he talking about? What are the mercies of God? It's the first 11 chapters. It's it's the gospel. It's the gospel. Jesus saved you. He redeemed you. He restored you. He reconciled you. He he ransomed you through the sacrifice of his own blood, of of his own blood that he purchased you. He sanctified you. He set you apart unto God. He guarantees uh, glorification. He adopted you into the family of God, and he calls you his own. Paul appeals to them. He says to to them about the mercies of God. Therefore, because of the mercies of God, what does he say? Present yourselves, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is what? Your spiritual worship. What is of worth, you will value, you will honor. The gospel commands our sacrifice to God when we sing, we are singing praises of offering to him. This this sermon, this is an offering of service to him. It's me yielding myself and, and walking after him. When we serve, we are offering our time, whether it's in children's or OCC or if it's in, it's in the student ministry, we're serving. When they're greeting, those folks opening the door for you. It's an offering to the Lord. It's a submission to him and, grat- and gratitude for what he's done. So may God forgive us when we stroll in here casually when we go through days and treat god lightly and take him for granted because he serves so much more from my life he is the king of kings and the lord of lord and worthy of everything therefore i will honor him and give him my best in jeremiah chapter 2 verse 5 i have that up here jeremiah chapter 2 thus says the lord what wrong did your fathers find in me? Isn't that a good question? God is saying, what did, what did your fathers, what, did the, what, what wrong did I do to them that they found in me? What wrong did your fathers find in me? That they went from far from me, that they went away from me, that they, they left me and went after worthlessness. How often do we do that? And then what does it say? And became worthless. What you seek. You know, when I worship my God, I become more and more like his son. When I worship him and I recognize him, I become more and more like him. When I involved myself in the world and the ways of the world, and that became the priority in my life, you know what I became like? Like that. If I distance myself from God and the pursuit of riches and the pursuit of power, the pursuit of affluence and the pursuit of being liked, all of those things, if that becomes the priority in my life, I become worthless in the sight of God. We worship that which we value. This is why when we worship Jesus, we become more like him. How do I honor his name? I give him my best, no leftovers. I just want to take a moment and look at the next one. In verses 9 through 11, we also honor his name by not being indifferent for his name. And this is really important. Look what he says in verses 9 and 11. And now entreat the favor of the Lord that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there was one among you who would shut the doors. You know what he's saying there? That they would shut the doors of the temple, that there would not be any more fires made on the altar of sacrifice in vain. He's like, oh, I wish they would shut the doors that you might not kindle a fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept the offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to the setting my name will be great among the nations. God will have his remnant. God will have his people. His name will be known. And in every place, incense will be offered in my, to my name. There will be those who will worship. And a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Have you ever thought about just the name? I mean, there's days when sometimes I just go Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in who he is. You know, the scriptures, I, I'm just giving you a few real quick. Just listen. John chapter 20, verse 31. The apostle John's explaining why he wrote that apostle, <clears throat> that gospel. These were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you may, what? Have life in his name. How many times were the servants of God beaten and told not to preach the name of Jesus? Just read the book of Acts. But they did anyway. Why? Because they were not indifferent about his name. They preached boldly the name of Jesus and risked shame persecution in even their own lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for in everything, in everything for, to God the Father in the name of, of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. I just messed that one up, let me do it again. Giving thanks always and for everything, to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, for whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The name of Jesus, Philippians 2.10, how we not say it, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. There is power in his name. So when we are indifferent toward the name of our God, you know what? That is a problem. That is a problem. His name is precious. We wander into the presence of God with indifference, and that is a problem. No awareness of what is happening right now as we gather that we would hear God's word and our hearts would be moved. Not... Not, you know, sometimes you guys go, hey, Greg, that was a good sermon, and I do praise God, right? I mean, you just, some of you already know that. You know why I do that, right? Because it's not me. I don't want any glory. We're lifting his name up right now. I am just a servant. I bow my knee just like you before the Almighty God. And right now, when we're coming together, you're hearing the Word of God, you're hearing truth, and you need to respond to it. You don't walk out of here this, just the same as always. You allow God to touch and, 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 and hit your heart in a way that you, you, you have a deeper love for Him, a deeper understanding. He is worthy. you wander into the presence of God like that, it won't be long before the presence of God won't be there. He dwells with those who fear his name and love him for his glory and majesty. God forbid that we would ever be indifferent to our God. This is not entertainment here today, folks. I don't come here to try to entertain you. This is not a social gathering. This is not a big party. It's not just a get-together. This is nothing more than the people of God humbling themselves before the Almighty God and calling on His name and worshiping Him. How do I honor God? I give Him my best, no leftovers. I'm not indifferent about His name. I'm gonna hit the last one. I won't be spiritually lazy. I'm not going to give him verse 12. I'm not going to give him profane worship, but you profane it when you say the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit. That is, its food, food may be despised. Profane worship is when we take something intended as true worship and make it unholy. It's, it's something that God doesn't, doesn't accept. When they were bringing the animals, and these animals were coming along and they were not meeting the requirements. They were blemished. They were supposed to be unblemished. They were polluting the table of God. They were bringing profane worship. They were bringing weary worship. Verse 13, but you say, what, is a, what a weariness is this? It's, I want you to catch this. And you, you snort at it. In other words, when you snort it, like you turn your nose up at it. Says the Lord of hosts, you bring what has been taken by violence or, in, or is lame and sick, and this you bring to the offering, shall I accept from your hands, says the Lord? And the implication is no. It's a weary worship. What happens is, is we, we start, they started going, but this is, this is so burdensome, Lord. Oh, we got to do this again? You mean I got to go to church again? I gotta read God's word. Oh, that's just such a burden. It's weary. I mean, how often? And the priests were letting them do this. I, I, I get I get tired sometimes when I hear things that people say about a worship service. I stand there and I hear those things sometimes and all I know is that it's a problem in the heart. Oh, you go, you go too deep. Oh, you don't go deep enough. And this is the word of God. It's living and active. I have never sat in where I've heard somebody, even if I knew more than them, that I didn't learn something because it's the word of God. If they're not teaching the word of God, it's not worth my time. It reflects the spiritual condition of our heart when we become, when we become oh, but I've got these other things I've got to do. Oh, God needs my time. We turn up our noses to the grace of God and we wonder where the power of God is in our lives. Well, we need to start here. And God forbid that I would, it's not easy to say these things, but God forbid that I would not challenge you. Verse 14, the first part. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices the Lord. Yet sacrifices the Lord what is blemished. Cursed worship, you know what that is? It's a form of deception. You have unblemished sacrifice, but you bring your blemished sacrifice. You have your best, but you bring God your worst. Oh, that's good enough for the Lord. How many times? Oh, it's good enough for the church. They'll just be. How much of your time and your pursuits and your treasures and your talents do you give to the Lord when you compare it to your own life and your own pursuit of self? But then act as if you gave greatly to God. Be careful. Be careful. I'm not your judge. God knows your heart. You can tell me all you want, and I'll go, okay. Because you know what? It makes it easy for me. I leave it with you and God. It's not my issue, but I will challenge you. Last part, verse 14, a blind worship. He says, For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. I am a great king. Why are you offering me leftovers and spending them on yourself? Do you not know who I am? My name will be feared among the nations. Why are you so blind to who I am? You know what? I hope God doesn't have to declare I am a great king at Mansfield Bible Church because we're so busy telling everyone about how awesome he is and that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. From everlasting to everlasting, there is none like him. He is the one true God that we declare it because that's the truth. Let our worship not be blind. The bottom line, God says, where is my honor? Who are those? Who honor my name? Where are they? Who are they who are not spiritually lazy and indifferent toward my name? Who are they who honor me with their best? Dear people of God, I pray that this morning you don't sit there offended. That wasn't the intent. My heart was challenged today. Well... (laughs) over the last few days especially my heart was challenged about my own offerings to God and I pray that you don't sit there offended but that you would join me in looking at your heart and now allowing compromise to slip in not to be deceived by the almighty deceiver who is a liar and who wants to, dis- wants to destroy us and deceive us let our hearts not be deceived Let us look deeply and see those moments of compromise and address them, no longer following in a way whereby we are casual in our worship and our walks with God, but fully devoted, that we would learn to follow Jesus and it would be the thirst of our life, day in and day out, moment by moment by moment, second by second by second, our God is worthy, amen? Let's pray. Father God, speak to us. Let us, Father, not take lightly the the words today. Let us, Father, not just pass over as if this is just another Sunday activity we do. But, Father, this this is the time we come together and we worship your holy name. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our best. You are worthy of our devotion. Father, may we with bended knees and bended hearts humble ourselves before you and lift up your holy name. To you be the glory. To you be the praise. To you be the honor forever and ever and ever. Amen.